0: This podcast was recorded on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we wish to pay respects to its elders past and present. interesting is that last year it was so it was already really hot and of course we were just like it was the precursor to the terrible bushfires um but um what i hear what is that crunching sound in the background
1: oh sorry that might be my laptop i'm just trying to adjust (laughs) it sorry
0: it's fine (laughs) we're doing it live anyways what i was saying is that but but so like this year it's so rainy and cold that it actually feels not unlike an october in connecticut where i grew up so it's, it's oh, interesting yeah unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> i don't yeah, know I,
1: anything it's... other than like when people use the word connecticut in movies like i don't know anything about the place i just know it's re- it, it as a reference in other american movies
0: a place commonly referred to but seldom portrayed uh <laughs> usually when i say connecticut um m- Australians are just like, "Oh, like Gilmore girls." I'm like, "Yes, like Gilmore girls. I'm friends ah, with Suki." Yes. Um, but no, it's Connecticut is definitely like the capital of autumn because the leaves are so vibrant. And right. it is it is a spooky state because it's mostly forest. So for, you know, Halloween is pretty big there. And all of the wow. New England region which encompasses massachusetts and the other ones um yep. rhode island uh where i also lived actually so yeah oh, it's, wow. it, if you ever get over there i know like new york of course is the big draw to absolutely recommend anyone spend a week there but if you ever get over to like the rest of new england especially like providence or just like the rural areas i mean it's it is very pretty and there's a lot of history there and a lot of it's spooky so yeah um, american
1: america has such a great folklore to it in a way that I don't feel like Australia does.
0: Oh, I think. Well, see, Australia is so interesting. And by the way, this is Relic, the Lost Treasure Podcast. Oh. For those of you, like, <laughs> whatever intros. Um, <laughs> any uh, we'll we'll go we'll get to that in a second. No, but Australia is so interesting because, like, you have like the whole convict folklore. But then, of course, you have the Aboriginal folklore. And so, like, talk about you've got, like, a young colonial civilization, which has only been here for, like, a minute, and then you've got the oldest civilization in the world. So, you know, there's not a lot of ghost stories, I would say, in Australia, but there's a lot of, like, very unique other tales that are really fascinating.
1: Right. I think a big part of it is that um, a lot of our folklore f- that would come from our indigenous community has just been uh, very uh, systematically just quashed yeah. and destroyed. Absolutely. And I know America did that too, but I guess it's a matter of like land mass. There was just a few more places for thing like people and, and cultures and ideas to hide out <laughs> for a little bit longer. Whereas ours is quite uh, hostile in most places. So we just kind of like smooshed it out and then, put the big old colonial stamp on everything.
0: Yeah, Well, on that cheery note, um, <laughs> I'm Maxwell. This is Relic the Lost Treasure podcast, as I said before. Uh, this is our Halloween episode for all intents and purposes. Uh, the world is ending, so I haven't really done an organized show. You are going to be hearing or have already heard um, an episode of The Trove that I do, of course, with Courtney of Cult of Domesticity. Please check that out if you haven't heard that. But this week I'm also joined... By Shane Anderson, filmmaker, auteur, um, Queenslander.
1: (laughs) Auteur, I don't know, maybe not yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's good to have you on the show. Thank you you very much for having me. Who the hell are
1: you? Uh, That's a good question. I've been asking myself that for 29 years. Haven't got all the answers yet. Um, uh, I'm a filmmaker from Brisbane, uh, Australia. I actually wasn't originally from here. I was from Tasmania. Uh, that
0: explains nice. the accent. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Does <laughs> Tasmania have an accent? <laughs> but like, so I, you know, when you when you're immersed in a con- another country than from where you start out, of course, when you start there, all the accents sound uniform. But then, the more time you spend there, you start to know the variances in dialect. And right. I find that people from South Australia and Tasmania, like in the more like southerly region, have sort of what I would describe as more of like. A traditional when like an american would think of like an english person like it has kind of more of an english like british influence in it um like i've had some teachers at at tafe who are from like south australia and tasmania who sound very similar so when you started speaking i was like where i wonder what party's from because i (laughs) because you don't sound like queenslander
1: no is a little bit more
0: which is like very thick
1: it's not as as rural and and rugged, I guess. Um, I I I have to say I can sort of distinguish like a New South Wales accent and a Sydney and both and Country New South Wales both are distinct to me. But then everything else, I don't quite. Uh, no, I like I know like like uh, uh, the Bogan accent as you would call it. <laughs> um, yeah, I know that one, which is this Australian rednecks, I guess is how you would describe Bogan's. I live in a in a quite a, a a Bogan suburb, uh <laughs> to be specific, in, in here in Queensland, good old Queensland. Um, not near the city, it's too expensive. Not Sydney expensive, but you know <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, being like, hey, I'm an immigrant. Why don't know, I just move to Sydney? Well, <laughs> you know, I did it with New York, and I just got really lucky. I mean, I oh, moved that- to New York with literally $300 in my pocket, which sounds like such a cliche, but it really was just a lot of good decision-making um, and a lot of bad decision-making, too. Right, um, right. But, you know, so Sydney, I feel like Sydney ciders. Are like the distant cousins of Bostonians. When you put a Bostonian and, and like a, you know a Sydney cider in the same room, the accent isn't that
1: different. Yeah, I can see. It. I can see. It's, it. it's really like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's both posh, but also not posh. It like moves in both directions at the same time. Yeah.
0: Well, you know. So we could talk about accents, <laughs> yeah, or we yeah, could talk probably. about scary movies because I understand movies. you're a fan of them.
1: I'm a big fan of them, uh, an exceptionally big fan of them, and I make it, I'm trying to make them. Uh, I've successfully, well, I've got one short that's doing the festival rounds at the moment, um, and I've got a few scripts in the works. I'm. It's weird because I wasn't always a horror fan because um, I, long story short, I grew up in a cult. and What? <laughs> yeah. Was it Song? No, no, no. Oh, no, more culty than that. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness.
0: Oh, okay. I mean, like, okay, sure. I was thinking you're, like, from, like, the family or something. No. Whatever. Jehovah's no. Witness. You're going to knock on my door and be annoying at, like, 8 no. a.m. on a Saturday. No. Fine.
1: Jehovah's Witness, a Scientology with six million more members. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, to the intense. point where Leah Remini did a whole episode of her Scientology show, but about Jehovah's Witness.
0: <laughs> Ooh, that's wow that's a whole other like the whole like shelly miscavige thing where like no one's seen her in years like of course like the founder of side well the leader of scientology's wife like it's just so so crazy
1: yeah 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 but um so for like a big chunk of it you weren't allowed to watch like any movies that were quote-unquote bad because if you watched them you would get possessed by satan and (laughs) so like nothing above a pg ever just period uh so i and i didn't so i was new to horror i only kind of started watching the first m rated which in america is like pg-13 maybe p you know uh r rated for america it's a bit weird your rating system is very weird to ours but um m is sort of mature audiences recommended for 15 years and over but it's not restricted to 15 years and over and uh it was the mummy the brendan fraser one (laughs) Speaking of treasure. (laughs) yeah.
0: Well, that's very appropriate.
1: (laughs) Uh, That was the first quote-unquote, like, adult scary movie I saw. And I was like, oh, my God, this movie can be terrifying and filled with action and really, really funny. This is amazing. Um, And then I very quickly went down a rabbit hole of just watching as many movies as I could and going into horror. And I watched, you know, I'm still, like, there's still a lot of the big classics I haven't seen. I only saw The Exorcist for the first time, like, four years ago, four and a half years ago. Um and so I'm coming to a lot of them new, which is good and bad. Bad in that sometimes you're watching it and you're like, oh, What's I wonder... What's the hype? How... Well, I, you wonder what... Like, I wonder if nostalgia has a much bigger part to play in the reason why that thing's become a classic. Yeah, Rather...
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah. And then, um, but then some of them I, I, I'm blown away by... Um, one, which we'll probably mention a, bit, a little bit later, um, yeah, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which mm. is my favourite of all time. And I normally like like your Hereditaries, your Get Out. I like the ones that are a bit more puzzly, uh, uh, that kind of thing, as opposed to something sort of just raw and, 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 and uh, in your face. But uh, I sat down to watch The Texas Chainsaw because it was one of those ones I was ticking off my list, and I was just floored by it. It was so brutal and visceral. And the original? Yeah, the original, 1974 Toby Hooper, blew me away as it's my favourite film of all time, and I've since been able to, like, see it. They played it on cinema last Halloween, uh, so I got to see it on a cinema for the first time, and it it was even better. I was like, holy my god, it was just, it was so good. I loved it. Um, But yeah, I'm sort of, you know, The Exorcist didn't play as well for me, but um, I'm a big fan of sort of, so a lot of the new ones, like the Ari Aster sort of stuff, which is a bit of, a bit film broy, a bit wankery to say, but I loved, <laughs> loved Hereditary. It's one of the best things. I've I mean, Tony seen. Collette. Australian <laughs> Treasure. It,
0: Absolutely. In, yeah, yeah. One of the best exports.
1: Yes. Correct. Better than other exports that a lot of other people seem to like. A certain one who shall remain nameless, a, certain, uh, a blonde movie star who shall remain nameless.
0: <laughs> um, I'm not going to get in trouble with anyone, so I'm just <laughs> going to gloss over that. So now you make movies, and you can plug, plug, plug at the end of the podcast. Right, but, right, right. But, like, is, you, so, like, that's really just... I could, Can you elaborate on that, I guess? Uh,
1: so, like, I, I studied at film school and uh, had mixed feelings on the end results of that. I probably wish I'd just straight up tried to make movies I think because I'd always watch movies and like when you're a kid and you're watching movies and you're like I want to do whatever that is and so your first sort of port of reference for if you want to do be involved with movies is the actors so I was like oh I want to be an actor so I did like a a few acting courses and I tried to I had like a kid agent where they like put you in ads but I never got into any ads I guess I would just wasn't very good.
0: That's like a super villain origin story.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, but then I was in high school and we were doing, uh, my mum ran a, a, an extracurricular drama class because uh, she's a, a drama music arts teacher and um, she was running this class and she wanted to do a film component. So she got herself like a little, just a little handy cam thing. She's like, we're going to film something. And um, my brother who was meant to be, writing he was the older one so he was the more responsible one and then he decided to not do any of the work so it was the 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 day of that we were meant to be doing this so i spent like three hours rushing together a script and some storyboards the worst storyboards you've ever seen uh and what came out was a movie called revenge of the medieval zombies three which is the third in a non-existent trilogy
0: so and... it's like army of darkness
1: uh, kind of, uh, except, like, there's no Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2. It was literally just... Well, cool, because the title... The twist of the film was is that there's these kids and they're having a sleepover and then they're accosted by the, the worst zombie... They're called medieval zombies because we'd done a play in, like, the previous term where we had, like, these medieval costumes so we just recycled the costumes from the previous term and and these zombies were medieval so we just like white face paint hands out in front brains brains and they're costing these kids at a sleepover and then you cut at the end of the film to reveal that they're just playing a video game uh oh. and then and that's the end and the dumbest film ever but we entered it into there was the sneak peek film festival which was part of in the bin which that festival is still going a <laughs> great name yeah, in the bin film festival. Um, For the and, Americans at uh, home, that means chuck it into the trash. Right. Oh, trash. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You got, you the, got garbage. In, the garbage. The um, garbage. But uh, we entered, and the thing was, apparently, uh, all the other short films that were playing there were sort of attempting to be these like highfalutin, uh, uh, experimental wonder films influenced by David Lynch or whatever. So there was all this like murdering Jesus. <laughs> Iconography and all that kind of thing and and then meanwhile we've got this like schlocky, bad intentionally z grade thing like we have this moment where someone like jumps and then we just cut to the person looking and like they do like a little look as if the person's jumping over their head and landing on the other side, except you know there's no it's no effects at all. It's just really bad dodgy techniques. And then someone explodes. And then we just intercut a shot from the pacifier, the Vin Diesel movie into the middle of our film. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was just a schlocky thing. And apparently it was just such a a reprieve from the other films that we ended up winning audience choice, um, at the festival. And so once oh. I got that, I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. That's, oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs>
0: oh, that's really cool. Um, so doing the bare minimum to tie the episode back to the show's theme of Lost Treasure. Right. Um, I'm going to talk about, just very briefly, because it's going to be the gateway, because it's sort of the jumping off point right. for everything we're going to be discussing in this episode. Um, this was almost a Lost Treasure, and I didn't know this until recently. So widely considered one of the first real horror movies is a German film called Nosferatu.
1: Mm -hmm. A Symphony of Terror.
0: A Symphony of Terror. My introduction to it was actually... Did you you ever see Are You Afraid of the Dark? Did that ever come over here?
1: No, although I've been meaning to watch the remake show that... Because that got a a fair bit of buzz, but I haven't seen any of... uh, Like, it was on DVD and stuff here, but it wasn't wasn't a part of the culture like it was in um, America.
0: So it's, so it's like basically, I think the equivalent in Australia was like Strange Tales for Twisted Children.
1: Uh, some... uh, Grizzly Tales for Gruesome Kids is the is the show. Okay. So that
0: was basically the equivalent. So it was basically like Twilight Zone, but for children. Yeah. And there was an episode where there's a movie theater and they get a haunted film reel where it's the film reel Nosferatu, which is a movie from 1922. Oh. Um it's by uh, F. W. F. W. Murnau. Who oh, I didn't know it was gay until I yep. researched this. Yep. Uh, do you, have you heard the story about his skull? Is it is it something that we can say on the podcast? Yeah, I don't yeah, care. yeah, yeah. Say
1: it. Say yeah. it. No, no. So in 2012, uh, Satanists robbed F. W. Murnau's grave and stole his skull for rituals to be used. I'd be so pissed. I would too. I'm a bit, like, angry about it, but I'm like, oh, how cool is that? There's a mythology to it. Because he famously died uh, in a car crash. He was, like, at the peak of his career and then died in a car accident. Uh, I was just learning about this the other day. I can't remember why I was sort of reading up on it. But it's fascinating because... As far as horror films go, F. W. Murnau and um, like James Whale, who did uh, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, the Old Dark House, uh, both of them were gay. Uh, and so it's like it's queer people sort of uh, codified horror cinema in a way that we almost didn't with musicals. It was like people like Busby Berkeley oh my was gosh, straight, I love this. <laughs> which just doesn't make sense to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um that's crazy, and I love that, and I'm so glad that you're on this episode to, like, <laughs> fill in this stuff. Um, so anyways, in this episode, it's, like, a haunted film reel, right. and the, the the antagonist of the picture is Count Orlock, who is still, to this day, one of the most frightening-looking mm. creatures. So it was played um, by an actor named Max like so Another Max, love it. Um, and he, it's not, like, Dracula, who's kind of, like, like Bela is very suave, or even, like, Ga- was it Gary Oldman? In the, the the Coppola Dracula,
1: uh, yes, Gary. Orman. Okay,
0: who is like still kind of suave when he doesn't look like you know an old <laughs> lady. Um, but um, he's so Count Orlock, who is the Dracula stand-in, because it, it as we we're about to find out, like Nosratu just is a ripoff of Dracula. Is like this kind of tall, gangly rat creature, like looking just thing. And he's so scary, and it's all it's it's a silent picture, so everyone has the exaggerated facial expressions, and his are just so. He's got these big, wide eyes, and in you know this predated the ring and Ringu, Um, in the episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? um, Nosferatu, well, Count Orlock, I guess, comes out of the screen like Samara slash Sadako in the ring, and it was so it left such an impression on me because. most of the episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, I just found really interesting. And if you right. ever want to check that out, my friend Brett Wilson, who was my neighbor growing up, he's he's actually working on um, an unauthorized uh, ta- like a coffee table book of Are You Afraid of the Dark. that He's also an illustrator. It has all his illustrations in it. It's so cool. Oh, wow. Definitely check that out. But that left such an impression on me. And I just like, you know, most like old movies, like Phantom of the Opera, don't like freak me out, but that mm. freaked me out. Um and it's so interesting that like that that's really the first horror movie. And it almost wasn't even we almost doesn't ex- it didn't exist after it was created because because it was a ripoff, Count uh Count Count Stoker, Bram Stoker, who's the author of Dracula, his wife, uh, or widow, I guess at the time, sued um Murnau and his production company yeah. and the court ordered all of the film reels to be destroyed but because of the, the film had started to become sort of a cult following um, the people who are like sort of film aficionados took the bootleg like took the bootleg or took the one of the film reels I think stole it or did something with it and made a bunch of copies and would like um, distribute them underground presumably as World War uh, II was about to happen or was it? Kiss in the middle of the Great Depression, and it's because of fans that we still have Nosferatu, and that yep. would go on to film to sorry to inspire so many other films. Um, yeah. So I mean, it was a rip off of Dracula. It, yeah. I mean, they they changed the names around, but it's a rip off of Dracula. So like, is it was it legal? Perhaps not, but was it cool? Definitely.
1: Well, a lot of lost films only survived because of. People hiding the in collections and things like that, uh, especially because at that time the film was shot on silver nitrate, and so it would be it would be smelted down and and used for whatever else you know. A lot we they estimate like ninety percent of silent films are gone forever. Like ninety percent of the movies made from like 1800s to nineteen like 18 or so 1913 or something like that and 90 percent of them are gone forever
0: well yes because it turns out silver nitrate highly flammable correct and that's what actually is the reason why we don't have a film which i did i did mention it briefly on another episode of relic way way back in the day um london after midnight which was a lon chaney film and lon chaney for those of you don't know was um an actor also a silent movie actor who would go to such a extreme lengths uh to portray these really creepy characters most famously i would argue the phantom of the opera
1: yeah he was known he was known famous for having done all of his own makeup effects like he did his own makeup effects he did he's the one who did uh jekyll and hyde yeah I think so. Because he did this really incredible, for its time, uh, uh, transformation on screen. Oh, man, love it. Of of where they they had, because it's black and white film, they had makeup where they had a certain colour light on him and then they changed the colour light. And on the film, it literally looked like his face changed shape, uh, where, you know, they... It it, it uh, a, like a face changing effect in film bef- with no cuts, oh. no digital effects or anything like that.
0: I mean the stuff they did back then, and the thi- I mean, and Lon Chaney, like God bless him, he would take piano wire and he would like just wrap it around his face and like literally contort his face, and just he would like, he really suffered for his art. So like that's how he got the Phantom of the Opera look is because he just like pushed up his nose to such this painful degree using wire. And that's why he looks so freaky because he's literally like scrunched up and contorted and in pain. Well, the reason I mentioned London After Midnight is because it is a lost film, but the character he plays is a hypnotist or a vampire or something who I've seen the stills and is so frightening. It looks like a guy in a top hat with like a kind of bat wing type cape and these big creepy like teeth like he's kind of grinning almost looks like the gentleman from buffy from uh hush yeah he looks a bit like that but what's interesting and i learned this recently is that even though that film no longer exists the stills of that the you know the antagonist exist and uh director jennifer kent australian director jennifer kent used that character as the inspiration for the babadook
1: Right, right. That would make that would make a lot of sense. I I uh, sorry, I do have to clarify. I got that wrong. It wasn't Lon Chaney. It was uh it was a different makeup effects person. I I there's this wonderful little BBC program where Mark Gaddis from uh people would Who. know him from, uh, Doctor Who and Sherlock. Uh he's it's Mark Gaddis's A History of Horror and he sort of goes through his favorite films from that time. He actually interviews one of the original actresses from uh Dracula. Uh wow. Yeah, she's she's like ancient and everything like that. But um, uh, the London After Midnight is directed by Todd Browning, who directed the original Dracula. Uh, he's a very very skillful director. He did a movie called Freaks, which uh oh, that's right, which is a a fascinating little film because it was hacked away by censorship, and so the film itself is only about fifty minutes long, sixty minutes long. It's like an hour long, even though it should be longer because it was cut down for being so. Uh, confronting and spooky and and people did not like how uncomfortable it made them uh but it's a fantastic if you can find it it's a fantastic film and genuinely unnerving um but yeah London After Midnight famously sort of got lost but uh the last print of it burnt in 1960s really 1965 yeah not that long ago I don't know why they didn't have copies being made but I guess still in the 60s we didn't think of film as being that needing to be preserved. Preservation only kind of started in the seventies with people, you know, restoring things and, and the, the critics sort of talking about old Hitchcock and Howard Hawks and, and Orson Welles, people like Bogdanovich sort of bringing this renaissance of appreciation of old Hollywood masters back into it. So prior to that, we weren't sort of, Obsessed with film preservation, yeah. But it was a fire of, on in the MGM, uh, yes, one of the yeah. MGM places that mm-hmm. destroyed it. Uh, Todd Browning did do a remake of it, a sound remake called uh, uh, Shadow of the Vampire, I want to say, or, oh. or not Shadow of the Vampire. It's uh, I was just on it before. I was looking this up yesterday because I was like, Ah, oh, the London After Midnight. But um, and he did a, a, an a, all all sound remake of it that sort of a bit more because obviously the word vampire then becomes. Uh, 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 after Nosferatu, because vampire wasn't like a common word, and and then once Dracula hits, once all these kind of hits, now every film has the word vampire in its title. Yeah, you know what's interesting. So
0: I actually have not seen Freaks. I didn't know that there. So the cut content is that gone forever? Like it's not restored. Yeah, that was the studio oh. sort of
1: inference. Sorry, Mark of the Vampire is the film I'm thinking okay. of. Yeah, it, it it was like cut during the the studio funded it and then they don't like the screening, so they hack it away. They did that to a, a few of his... Apparently, uh, I think London After Midnight had cuts as well, or one of the other things that he'd done had cuts made to it. Um, yeah, I think London After Midnight. Yeah, because that's about one hour, nine minutes, and then apparently records show that would maybe ran a bit closer to 80 minutes, so there's about 20 minutes that was cut from the studio and then, you know, on and on, but we'll never know because apparently there's a 40 minute sort of attempt at a restoration done. That's on DVD with like the Lon Chaney collection. Um, I heard Edgar Wright talking about it. He watched it, but he says it's basically just photos and, and recreations and things. Um, There's no like actual film to it. Well, so I know Todd Brown
0: was, sorry, did I get his right? Browning. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Um, his career was kind of, I think he was sort of panned as a director after Making Freaks, which was such a radical film yeah. because it used real um, sideshow um, yeah. actors. So people who, like people living with disabilities who had deformities, like body, like serious body deformities. Yeah. And he apparently treated them really well on set. And so it was so radical because it was this basically this fringe, um, these, you know, really persecuted people from society being hollywood actors and being treated with this you know with the same esteem as hollywood actors um and we're kind of both sort of the heroes and the villains depending on how you you look at it they're the heroes
1: we all know they're the heroes yeah
0: (laughs) so i think what's interesting is that really the legacy of that film in modern times is mostly known for inspiring uh, the American horror story... Freak Show. Freak Show, which borrowed a lot of the elements from it.
1: Yeah, my personal least favorite season of the ones that I've seen so far.
0: It would have been good if, which I don't want to get into a criticism of Ryan Murphy, cause we'll be here all day, but a uh, fantastic world builder does not know how to end a story. If that season yeah. had ended at episode six, like they just did a mini season, like a mini series where they kill the bad guy. And I won't yeah, spoil twisty, it for anyone.
1: Tw- once twisty dies, spoiler alert, sorry. Um, once twisty dies, the film, the, the, the show loses all steam. It would and have then been it a becomes, perfect ending. Yeah. But then it becomes, let's watch, uh, Jessica Lang Sing uh Life on Mars
0: <laughs> it's you know <laughs> yeah i i mean really if you just end it there and are okay with a couple of loose ends it's actually a pretty good season but yeah. it's it's just bogged down by the second half anyways i brought up the Baba duke because i kind of wanted to talk about the difference between australian and american horror movies and is there yeah. a difference
1: uh i i would say so in in Different ways, I mean, like our horror cinema as a whole has kind of come in spurts and fits as opposed to like waves as they are in America, and that part of that's to do with we're not as in love with arts and artistic expression as we would like to think we are. Um, and, and just because it's, it's, you know, there's not as much money going into films here than as there is in America or even England or or somewhere like that. Um, uh, I think. I don't know, It it's it's a lot of what we were talking about before with, like, the folklore aspect being sort of a thing. So I, there's not a lot of, you know, are oh, we built a house on ancient burial grounds and therefore bad stuff is happening to people in the present day. We have, you know, our iconic things like Wolf Creek or, you know, a lot of people cite um, Picnic at Hanging Rock oh, as, so as being a horror movie. Uh, <laughs> um But it's like that's sort of the closest we get to folklore. It's kind of these little, really ambiguous, almost not part of the genre kind of thing. Um, It's the differences are, I would say, like our landscape plays a big part in terms Mm -hmm. of uh, it being barren and 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 hostile a hostile environment and and america has that too because you guys have deserts you have canyons and you have sort of but a lot of that was reserved for like the western the frontier kind of stories and horror became about um other things whereas our landscape is almost always sort of this really hostile monster you know wolf creek comes up um What's another? Uh, I'm blanking on Australian horror movies right now, and I should know them all. There's
0: a there's one where I think it's a couple who get it's fairly recent where a couple just gets stranded in the outback, and that's the horror movie. And then I think there was one there's there Long Weekend, which has been remade, right. and that's basically about a couple going into nature. And being really disrespectful, and then nature literally kills them. Right. Which right. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, the whole gag in America is that Australia, everything wants to kill you. But yes. which is not true. After living here two years, but it's but not, entirely it is. <laughs> <laughs> not entirely false.
1: Not entirely false either. Oh no! So um, I just remembered. So we have uh, we have our exploitation era uh in the <laughs> 70s where we got to actually do things because there was like these huge tax credits that um a Film Australia, Australia uh Film Australia I think it was at the time or the Australian sorry the Australian Film Finance Corporation the AWFC and and there were these massive like 30% tax breaks so all that's where how we got like a Jackie Chan movie shooting over here and all these kind of things we uh we had biker movies there's road games with Jamie Lee Curtis uh, which oh, is oh yeah the slasher with a truck, but it's also like very weird and unusual. Uh, we have Patrick, which is the uh, para- quadriplegic, uh, psychic, uh, bedridden patient who sort of terrorizes a hospital full of people. Which got remade. With, Can you um... talk to
0: me a little bit more about that one? Because that was a lot to take in at once. Uh,
1: so it's it's a I have I've seen bits and pieces. I haven't sat down and watched the full thing. Um, so it was made in 1978 and it's sort of a science fiction horror and it's the premise is, I'm just going to grab this off Wikipedia. So, uh, three years after murdering his parents, Patrick lies in a coma at the Roger Roger clinic, a private hospital in Melbourne, following a job interview with matron Cassidy, uh, the head of the hospital, Kathy Jacquard is taken on as Patrick's new nurse. Um, and basically Patrick has telekinetic powers and he can travel out of his body. And so he kind of terrorizes, the hospital staff.
0: There's definitely an X-Files episode that ripped that off.
1: Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Uh, we've got, you know, um, it's interesting that Wolf Creek kind of became sort of the, the benchmark of Australian horror for a big, a big portion of it. Um, uh, Why does Get Out listed? Oh, we did Winchester. That was a new one. Um, we do a lot of uh, animal movies. Our uh, big Razorback is is a is a big iconic one with the with the the bull. It's not the bull, the the boar. Uh, tra- chasing after people. And now my internet search is giving me American history, American horror movies. So I don't quite know <laughs> what's going on there. Um, we we we're breaking into it a little bit more recently. I think the Bubba was the first. It, what the Bubba do, did was it was like, oh, Australia can do genre and we can like give it a bunch of awards. Cause that's the thing is like, I've made a lot of films or tried to get a lot of stuff made. And a lot of the, it's kind of the opposite problem to American cinema where, you know, the, the complaint is that all America wants to do is these like franchises and these action movies and these movies for 12 year old boys. Um, in Australia, we're very obsessed with making the capital I important film. So it's basically like Oscar bait. Um, we all want to make Crash, and they usually... I I describe them as they're movies about people in houses being sad for two hours. (laughs) That's my sort of refrain that I've become a broken record in saying or oh, it may not be a house it may be people being sad in the outback for two hours uh, <laughs> and that way you can pad out your running time with a lot of scenery porn of, of, of deserts and trees and roads that go nowhere and all that kind of jazz um, and and usually things like spousal abuse and rape become plot devices for these films because um, I, had, I had the real privilege, I met, um, there's a very famous Australian biker film called Star uh, and I met the producer of it, David Hane, uh, mm-hmm. through when I was at film school. It was one of the very few good things to come out of film school. And it, uh, he said that the thing is, is that these bodies—it's it, it, a bureaucracy where they're afraid of making something for the purpose of being like entertainment, partially because if they make it and it doesn't become a success. They then don't have a ground to stand on to justify why they made it. Whereas if they make an important film, they go, "So well, box office doesn't matter because we made something that was culturally important," and that's sort of that's their ability to sort of defend themselves and then keep their status as some approvals minister. Because the problem is, is that a lot of our film finance comes from government bodies so you have government people and a lot of them who haven't even done film are the ones making the decisions so it's all about like appearances and not about like the work okay
0: so you know it's interesting because you were mentioning i guess like because you some of the examples you said were a lot like kind of like slasher based but for you know i feel like what i've seen of australian horror movies is that oftentimes they don't look like they're horror movies on the surface and it's you know it it sort of plays with well what is horror so like the babadook it's it's very unique because it's you know about a a single mother who's traumatized raising a troubled child and the the demon is really um motherhood i guess just the manifestation of like trauma
1: okay that's interesting um I have debates with this movie with people and cause I originally thought it was like a, a mental health thing. Uh, that's what it was like. The Babadook was a metaphor for, and I've talked to people who still think this, but I was talking with a writer friend of mine and she's like, no, the Babadook, because the thing is that the mother and the child share the same, um, manifestation mm. of what it is. And so it's grief because both of them lost the father. The, or the husband, so it has to be. She's. This is her argument. It doesn't. You know that the whole beauty of film is that it can be anything to anyone. Um, but it's grief because that's why the 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 uh, embodiment is shared. If if it was if it was mental health, it, it, you know she would be having it, and maybe the child wouldn't, or the child would start to see it, or something like that. But the fact that they both very clearly experience the same haunting. If you would call it that, it, it it's something that they share simultaneously that comes from the same source. Yeah. Um, and because it's you know they start with the car accident and all that, and her floating down to the bed, which is a gorgeous shot. Oh,
0: the shot is amazing, and the slow motion, yeah. and then her like sleeping or trying to get sleep, and clearly being an insomniac, and like everything yeah. speeds up. And oh.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my one gripe, my one biggest gripe with that film though, is the child keeps looking down the barrel of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like no stop this isn't well, silence of the lambs
0: <laughs> for me i think like what i read it, it was like sort of the darkness of motherhood so like how frustrating it is to to parent a child which you know i'm a cis guy so i'm not going to ever really know the like sort of the motherhood experience right um you know as i uh, say a cis woman or a trans woman would know um but just the idea that, like, you could maybe hate your child or be frustrated with your child or, like, right. maybe even be abusive. Like, that's the kind of darkness that right. I, I sort of saw there. Um, but just the idea of, like, the horror being a metaphor and, like, what is horror. I feel like a lot of Australian horror movies are just sort of about the human condition. And I know that you haven't seen it, but Wake and Fright? Yeah, yeah. So... Just describe it for a because I didn't know about this until I moved here. This movie, so it's got Donald Pleasance in it, who's famously Dr. Loomis Halloween. from the Halloween series. Pure evil, uh, and he plays kind of the bad guy. So he's not the protagonist, it's, it's another actor whose name escapes me. But it's about a teacher teaching in this very outback town who is takes a weekend and has a stopover in. <laughs> In this, I forget the name of the town, but it's this super rural, out, like even more rural outback town, like cut off from civilization, only a train station. And everyone there is like, um, imagine if like the whole town was the people from the Texas Chancellor Massacre, but they were kind of friendly in a sinister way. Yeah. So like they, they, they bring him into and they kind of get him drunk and like they're just super like super bogan and everyone just drinks and like beats their wife and they um they convince him to play <laughs> play a game of two up which i have to explain this to americans <laughs> now so the context of this is my, this 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 was filmed in the town of Broken Hill, which is a real town in Australia that my partner, who's a lawyer, lived in for a while doing something related to – I think it was related to his degree. I think it's something to do with his practice. But – he explained that two up was this really big thing that this town played it's like a gambling game and they used to play it in the trenches in world war 1 and it's i think it's like illegal in most places except for broken hell And then on Anzac Day, I don't know. I'm getting really Australian about it right now, so I'm going to confuse a lot of the (laughs) Americans. But essentially, it was like, oh, so like, what is this? And he shows me a picture of him at the two-up game, and it's just a bunch of guys crowded in this big circle. And I'm like, oh, this looks really intricate. What is it? And so I actually watched Wake and Fright, and it's just flipping two coins while people throw money on the ground. Yeah. It's like heads or tails. Well, people shout. So this guy gets sucked into this and loses all his money and now he's drunk and indebted to this like creepy town and Donald Pleasance comes in and it's just kind of like how the horror comes from how sad rural towns in Australia are which you think is like I mean whatever but then you watch it and you're like oh this is quite grim and then at one point they're shooting kangaroos and they which is, there is a disclaimer cuz they actually do The the footage is of actual kangaroos being shot, which I Mm. thought was really disturbing, even though I've literally eaten a kangaroo before. Um,
1: (laughs) It's very tough. (laughs)
0: It is. I mean, you got to get it right. but So it was this really freaky film about the human condition. And I was like, well, this is a horror movie. Mm. Like, no one... I don't think anyone dies in it, from what I remember, but it's it's definitely a horror movie.
1: Well, I'm of the opinion that all horror is about the human condition. Uh, part of, like, why I've sort of gone on this rabbit hole down in horror in my own sort of... In the stuff I want to make and everything like that, I, I have Mike Flanagan to blame for a lot of it because his work really just... Like, and other people have done it before him, but his work coalesced horror and, and the human for me in a way that translated to me. Because, um... Horror is sort of... uh, Guillermo del Toro, who's my favourite filmmaker of all time... Good choice. uh, He... Thank you. uh, He has this really... he says, I'm paraphrasing it here, but he says the thing is that you can make a, a, the drama film about, like, let's say you want to talk about racism in America. You could have the uh, post-Obama racism, uh, the I would have vote, voted for Obama a third time, if you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, oh, wait, you haven't seen it, have you?
0: No, okay, <gasps> call me out. I, oh, my goodness. I hope to, so my list of films to watch before Halloween, I don't know if I'm going to get to all of them, are Get Out, Us, and Midsummer,
1: Right, right. Oh, fascinating. Well, so, I guess we can still talk about it. I won't spoil anything for you, but um, uh, if you want to talk about racism in America, and you can do the drama about the the couple and they go home to the family and it's this thing and they have a big argument or something like that, and that film plays very well for a certain audience like Crash did, um, but... It's not. It's it, when you're preaching in that kind of a way, a, a big chunk of the audience is going to cut themselves off. They understand that it's a preachy film, and so even if they watch it and they experience it, it, it removes them from it. But the, there's this weird counterintuitive thing where the more fantastical the story, the more people are willing to just open up and let the story talk to them. And mm. so that's why Del Toro works in genre all the time and fairy tales and things like that. And so genre, especially horror, you know, Get Out did for the conversation about not the like the Mississippi burning style racism, but the very undercurrent that is in people who would otherwise present, present themselves as very progressive. uh, It brought that out into light in a way that uh, uh, just a drama film would not have been able to do in a million years. Uh, There's something about genre that lets you talk about these things. So in my opinion, um, all horror is, about the human all movies should be about the human condition let's be perfectly frank um but horror sort of does it in a way that's quite confronting and that's why you know people go oh I don't watch horrors they're too scary or something like that but so it's confronting and welcoming in the same uh in in at the same time which is sort of I think where its power comes from and then it lets you do things uh that are quite over the top you know the, the the range within uh uh horror is a lot more broad than say if you're doing a drama if you go too over the top it's going to turn wacky and it's going to look a bit weird but you can have a really over-the-top horror film something like gremlins for example um which is absolutely about (laughs) capitalism and commercialism and toys and rampant consumerism or you can have something (laughs) really um Uh, down-to-earth and rigid, something like uh, Hereditary, which is also about very human things. It's about the trauma passed down through a family that we sort of visit upon our children. You would... So I just... I know you'd mentioned Guillermo del Toro. I mean, Crimson Peak. Just great. So good.
0: Yeah. um, You had mentioned Picnic at Hanging Rock, which I'm surprised isn't talked about more because that is so again no no real gore in like very unique it's so dreamlike the original so the years of the original one from the 70s and then there's a mini series they did with natalie dormer yes. from game of thrones which is actually quite good and gets really queer in a oh, way that the original, i haven't oh it's, i haven't yeah. seen it yeah yeah and it's it's you know and i think that actually speaks to a lot of the subtext of the first film like the, the original as well um but it so comes Peter? that
1: comes from this like we had a a, a spate of mini series adaptations of classic films. They did Wake and Fright as well. Oh really? Um, yeah. There, there was just I so that's why reason why I avoided it because I thought it felt a bit like it felt a bit cash grabby for me. I've heard the Picnic at Hanging Rock's really good, but like it just felt like we did Wake and Fright. We did that. I think there was they were going to do a Dead Calm one as well, which is another sort of it's a bit more of a thriller, I would guess. But that's an iconic Australian film as well. Um so oh, sorry oh. i interrupted you no,
0: no 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 it's okay um so picnic and hang rock and i've read the book it's about uh so the the movie is very dreamlike and eerie in the way it's shot and it's about these school girls at a school in the middle of i want to say it's the victorian desert so victoria as in the the state of victoria here in australia and um there's it's on valentine's day and they go um on a picnic to hanging rock which is a real place which i did actually know that and it's sort of this um big outcropping surrounded by woods um and it's a very it's a very stark land feature so it looks very it's it's i guess a little bit like uluru in the same way that it's very striking and very like iconic yeah and they go so a few of them go off the trail and they go up to uh they go up to Hang Rock and they never
1: come back yeah. and you never find out what happens to that sorry that's a spoiler Ugh. but like it's well, it's, it's, a, it's a piece of iconic sort of australian like if we were to have folklore that sort of comes as sort it's of one so of the creepy. most it's one of the most well-known ones my mom would always go on about hanging rock and she'd you and it would be used as sort of the boogeyman story of oh don't go out because you just go missing and no one will ever find you it happened to the girls at hanging rock da-da-da-da. well that's
0: the thing the the author was so smart and her name escapes me again i'm sorry this this is just popcorn style so i actually don't <laughs> i don't remember the, the name of the author i um but uh What's so what was so smart about is that she 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 like the introduction to the book, which I think is also the introduction to the movie, if I recall, is basically like this is an account from the eighteen hundreds, so it's it seems real. And for years, she never said if she was completely mum on if that was something she made up or a story she heard, because she always portrayed it as if it was like something that had been passed down to her. Like something that really happened where a bunch of schoolgirls went on a field trip, went into this very old it's almost kind of like Junji Ito esque. Like, like the um the enigma of Amigahara faults that like old creepy, like manga where the yeah. people like crawl to the holes in the mountainside and they all get, yeah, it's very much like that. Just, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what happened, but it's the, the whole, and it happens early on in the film and in the book. So the aftermath of loss and what that means, that's the real horror. Like what yeah. is the mystery? And then like, they slowly find that all the girls had kind of secrets, which is a little bit more exaggerated in the modern version with Natalie Dormer. There, Um, you know, it's, it's like what really happened to them. There's kind of a discussion of class in Australia, like pre-federation yeah. Australia, which is very interesting. Um, but it, it's it 's so creepy because you never you never find out and that's what's so spooky about it yeah and they like they hint at like weird things like seeing like time distortions so you know it's like whatever it is it's almost lovecraftian in a way
1: yeah yeah there's a there's there's a definitely a version of this you could do that just leans into the full- blown lovecraftian <laughs> horror the cosmic it gives horror me chills it, like it's... it
0: gives me chills like my hair is like the back of my neck is standing up and it, again no bl- Uh, no gore it's just the unknown and that and of course and you had said that like the outback as a character that's like that's really like nature being hostile because it's it's erasing you essentially
1: yeah 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 yeah. the outback is is the the thing we define as one of our defining characteristics and it's also the thing we almost always fight against
0: (laughs) which is which is so interesting because that's such a like you know, and I'm not going to claim to know anything, but, like, that's such a very, like, white colonial mindset, because let's yeah. talk about, like, you know, like the Pidinjara people who live in the middle of the outback, who have been living there successfully for thousands and thousands of years, older than most, like, you know, any sense of Western civilization, and they've lived there in—I don't want to use the word harmony, because I think that's such a loaded adjective, <laughs> yeah. but— um. They've, you know, they've lived off the land successfully. And, you know, for white colonists, yeah, it's hostile. But for people who've been living here for thousands of years, I mean, you know, I, th- I think it's the idea that it's only hostile because, you know, we're the invaders. So it's sort of like the land's in, in many ways fighting back or it's like you're not supposed to be here. Or if you need to be here, you need to learn the rules and you need to, like, respect it. Um so I just think that's really interesting how the, the outback is kind of the the enemy. But I mean, it's usually for the lens of, you know, white, white culture. White people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Those white people. <laughs> um
0: Well, so um we've so we've talked a little bit about Australian horror and American horror. Um what about you? would mentioned like waves, like sort of booms, and I when I think of like booms of horror, I think of the J horror boom, which was got me, which is what got me into horror. Oh, you know, cool. back when I was like twelve or so, I saw The Ring and was completely blown away. Yeah, and that led to like seeing The Grudge and Audition and all these other, um, you know, I've still the Japanese. I've, I've, sorry, I
1: still need to. Oh no, I was just gonna say I still need to bring up the courage to watch Audition. I don't know if I'm ready for that.
0: I. It wasn't – I mean, it's – it's. so what's interesting to me is that I've gotten more sensitive as I've gotten older. And I think that's just because I had a lot of emotional walls as a teenager because I was dealing with a lot of stuff. So I think, you know, really gory stuff, really, you know, people being brutalized back then didn't really bother me. But I've noticed as I've gotten older that it tends to make me a little bit more uncomfortable.
1: Right, right. Um,
0: but – so the Audition, I don't remember it being as bad as people said it was. But, you know, I could watch it as a 30-year-old and be like, oh, I can't do this. So yeah. your mileage might vary. <laughs> but um, w- was the J-Horror boom a th- big thing in Australia as well? Because they, con- they just made remakes, of American remakes, you know, at the think, wazoo back the I mean, in I, the, early the, 2000s. the American
1: remakes hit more here than, than the Japanese ones, but then it caused this whole... It's like with anime, it's like dub versus sub argument it was like that there was the culture of the people who like no the the japanese version is superior than such and such and and that and it like half the time though in the the american remakes were directed by the japanese directors they somehow managed to to segue getting to direct their own remakes
0: what was so what was interesting about i don't so the ring i can't I don't like to make which is better comparisons because there's the original version, which we'll just call Ringo, which is just the ring in Japanese, and there's the American one with Naomi Watts, and I feel like the original one is so much more like a documentarian style, like almost yeah. like a Blair Witch, even though it's not a found footage movie, and then the 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 Gore Verbinski Naomi Watts one is more, like, artistic. It's a little bit more Lynchian.
1: Yeah. It's very... Uh, Gore Verbinski, the director of that one... See, I've only seen the American remake. I've got the Japanese one on my pile to watch eventually, (laughs) my my never-ending, towering pile of movies that I need to watch. Um, But Gore Verbinski is... He's one of the exceptions because... then the original director of The Ring went and did The Ring 2, which generally, generally speaking, a lot of people consider the American remake to be a better film, but there's sort of this purist thing about the Japanese one being more culturally about Japan and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, Gull such a visualist. He's a very underrated director, I think, because he got the reputation for having done the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, which I love. Hmm. I f- like, the first three are like three of my favourite films i adore all of them yeah. um but doing them obviously then uh took it away he's done a, he did a really interesting film called a cure for wellness which if you I like loved
0: it so good so good i mean I'm, I'm sorry i would say i loved it because like at the end of the day it didn't seem that like i wasn't like completely blown away but visually i i just i yeah. loved that it was so let me rephrase that i love that it was so unique i wasn't blown away by it but i loved that it felt like for the first time it's like oh finally and a a somewhat original horror movie
1: and it's completely not based on a book not based on a video game not based on anything it was written originally for the screen and i was really mad that people didn't show up for that movie because everyone talks about oh horror movies they just keep remaking things and we want more original ones and then when original movies come along no one shows up for them (laughs)
0: Well, you know, it's interesting that you said that it's not based off a video game because as I understand it, and I could be way off base here, Gore Verbinski was originally scheduled to do a Bioshock movie. Correct. So um, Bioshock, horror, uh, horror video game, science fiction video game set in kind of this art deco, Ayn Rand inspired dystopia under the ocean that has like a lot of very like 1930s, 1940s aesthetics to it. Now Care for Wellness Many argue that a lot of the visuals in that film, which take place in this sort of like hospital spa kind of complex, yeah. are borrowed or inspired by Bioshock. And it does, because I remember it takes place in modern times, A Cure for Wellness, but it, the, the the actual building seems like it's very much like something from the 20s or the 30s.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely got an old world aesthetic to it and a lot of it is about the old world hitting the new world because he's like, the the wellness you know, he's like a corporate executive and it's all like these stark buildings and grey suits and everything like that and then he goes to this place that's supposed to free you from the trappings of modern life and it in itself is also a prison.
0: Yeah, and oh, there's such an... I think the one thing that sticks with me is that, and this isn't—I'm trying to, to describe this without spoiling it—and this is a trigger warning, so maybe skip like 15 seconds ahead. But the scene where they put the thing down his throat and they pump him through through oh, it. Ugh, the, the eels, snakes, the Ugh. eels, Ugh. Ugh. That, the and you see it. That. Oh, and it's it. Oh, I, like it makes me want to gag, just like. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. But, um, so speaking about like waves, horror is very interesting in that horror more than most genres is the most in tune with the zeitgeist of the time, because horror mm-hmm. is in a, in a very literal sense, talking about our fears. And so, um, someone pointed this out cause a lot of people, uh, refer to the, the, the torture porn era with a lot of disdain. Um, but when you look at it, so we have like, you know, the seventies was full of a lot of slashes and all these really stark, brutal movies because everyone realized that things weren't quite as shiny and unique, um, because Watergate, Nixon, Vietnam war, trauma as like just this major part of the culture at the time was a big thing. And so the film started talking about it. Um, uh, then in the, sorry, the eighties became, sorry, the eighties were the slashes, the seventies were sort of, yeah the birth of sort of just ultra violent ones. You had a lot of those films that got banned, things like the last house on the left. Uh, I spit on your grave, all these uh, really violent, uh, a lot of rape revenge movies in the seventies. Um, the eighties were the slashes. It was the slash area. That's where you got, you know, Freddie Krueger and Jason Voorhees. Um, and then the nineties horror kind of seemed to die down. Cause we kind of, hit into this big family-friendly sort of era and the big studio movie, the Spielberg sort of big... Bec- you know, Spielberg was big beforehand, but Spielberg started in horror with Jaws. Um, but uh, with the torture porn thing, a lot of people sort of say it's one of the the, the worst eras of horror, and yet it's not a coincidence that... Uh, I had this pointed out to me by Michael Varadi, who I have to credit here for this, um, but uh, it's not a coincidence that the torture porn genre came about post nine eleven when we, you know, Americans enacted the Patriot Act and then started torturing people. And that was in the news.
0: Oh, Guantanamo, but Guantanamo, Gitmo.
1: <laughs> yeah, Gitmo. Um, all those things are happening and then the horror was reflecting it. And now we're, you know, I think the wave that's coming at the moment is a mix of things. Cause you've got, you've obviously got the Blumhouse era
0: oh i was thinking a24 like well, Ari a24, Astor, think, well, is well very, yeah like... it's
1: this two-pronged thing because you've got the studio horror that's now coming out is your is your blumhouse stuff it's a lot of these old school ghost stories um and but then you get something like get out and all that kind of thing um and then you've got the a24 which are the really bold really out there they're almost skirting the 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 borderline of is it a genre film at all something like um I just recently saw St Maud at the Brisbane Film Festival which is a fantastically um weird movie about a nurse who is tasked with ta- she's sort of this uh, a born again Christian nurse and she's tasked with um taking care of a, a dying woman as sort of she's a hospice nurse mm-hmm. and she this nurse believes that she's uh get, receiving instructions direct from god in how to save this woman and the way the story goes is fantastic and it's a bit violent but a24 have also done like hereditary and uh it comes at night the witch which is oh I lo- have you seen the witch
0: Oh, yes. I loved
1: The Witch. So good. Yeah. My my partner um, famously hates that movie. Uh, He (laughs) loves horror, but he hates that movie. But, like, as a mark of him understanding me, my birthday present from him was the production book, which has got a script and interviews and storyboards and things like that of The Witch, which is just a fantastic read. But um, it's kind of two pronged. You've got it coming in the indie world and coming in from the the studio world, like The Conjuring and The Conjuring Universe, I guess, is a big. Part of the modern wave at the moment as well.
0: Well, it's interesting about bringing up the A twenty four movies, and I just just to sort of just put the the book closed on the J horror influence of the two yeah. thousands. You so you had the torture porn and the kind of like what the, all these horrors that the Americans were unleashing on you know the world. Um, And that was living next to the J horror boom. And the J horror boom was a lot about modern, like just kind of modern technology and like the horror that creeps through videos that is like in modern looking houses, just like real estate, like the grudge where you move into this nice house and like, it's hidden that there was like a terrible tragedy that spawned like an evil ghost there. You know, you had pulse, which was about, um, ghosts coming through the internet. I need to see that one. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I actually haven't seen it, I just know that's the plot. But it's, it, um, that,
1: those were all happening at the time when the internet officially was, became yeah. like, because the internet just prior to that was sort of the rich people thing, and it's as soon as it became something that everyone sort of had access to, like mobile phones, now it bleeds into the the, the zeitgeist and it becomes part of the horror movie canon. <laughs>
0: So with A24 being the wave and connecting it to modern horror, I mean, I'm also, I also see a lot with cults and, you know, of course you're dealing yep. with like Trumpism, which is of course a huge cult. Correct. Um, you know, like you evangelical
1: know. Um, and evangelical stuff as a whole, because you've got Trumpism in America, but we've got a version of that here in Australia. There's a version of that in America and they all seem to be connected to this idea that, oh, the more progressive we are getting, the further away from Righteousness and God, we seem to be coming to, and so um there's this push and pull between these ideas of the quote unquote old and the new.
0: Yeah, and it's also the the similarity. And again, I don't want to spoil too much, but like in Hereditary and even Midsummer. Um, is that a lot of the people who are the creepy cult, which does harken back to some stuff like Rosemary's Baby, is that they seem so friendly and they're like, oh, you know, come, you know, we're here to take care of you. Everything's going to be good. And it's not like... There's that dime where it's like, we're secretly evil. It's like, even when they're evil, they think that they're being so friendly and like loving. And that's so like, that's like the stuff you see with the Trumpism. Because like, you know, being in America, when that happened, you know, the election, uh, I'm so stressed out right now. <laughs> um, It was, like, the idea that I felt was, like, well, how could my own neighbors, who I thought I knew, turn out to have these twisted ideas? And, like, that's what you see in these kind of, like, modern, like, sort of cults. Like, with these movies that have, like, cults or, like, cabals or people working against you is that they seem at first to be the people you trust and have these good intentions. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have these intentions for you that aren't so good. But they think they're doing good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's it's
0: not like the Rosemary Baby where it's like we're just using you as a means to an yeah. end to like bring about saying, and it's like, "Oh no, we think we're doing the right thing, but what we're actually doing is horrific."
1: Yeah. And like an interesting comparison because a lot of people who the people who don't like Midsummer often compare it to uh the Wicker Man, but the Wicker Man's a very interesting version of it because uh, the Wicker Man doesn't play, like, it. the Wicker Man plays a bit more hostile, that the, the town people do not trust him when he comes in and all this kind of stuff, um, and eventually, you know, bringing out the Wicker Man, uh, and it's the reason, it's one of the reasons why the Nick Cage version, one of the many reasons the Nicolas Cage version didn't work, uh, is because it didn't play that well in the 2000s anymore, um, whereas Midsummer, it's the most friendly and inviting thing, and not to be spoilery about it, but there's sort of, the film doesn't, uh, the film opens you up to question whether or not those nice things are nice, because it does seem like, the thing is that that is a horror film for everyone but the main character in that film it's a very fascinating like alice in wonderland style film i don't want to spoil it. it's, i love that movie so much i saw it a week after getting dumped from like a really horrifically toxic relationship <laughs> and it's a breakup film and i cannot tell you how cathartic that experience was
0: well you know and, and that's the other thing about the h24 films is that in in by and large the endings are kind of like people j- Peep the joke on the internet is like oh good for her <laughs> Where it's like, yeah. you know, like someone becomes this terrible monster or has committed this atrocity and is yet liberated and there's something kind of feminist about it, but I don't want to yeah. touch it because I don't have enough, you know, knowledge about yeah, that to yeah, touch you, it, but and, it feels like it's feminist in and a way. you
1: see that in the witch. You don't necessarily see it as much in hereditary. Um, but you see like although they have very similar endings and Midsummer especially is is along those lines. Um, it it it's a very interesting thing. It's very hard to sort of judge the move, the the wave of horror that we're in now because we're in the middle of it. It's sort of a lot of these things. No one was like, oh, I'm making, you know, when they were making the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they weren't plotting to make a revolutionary slasher with violence no. and beauty at the same time. They were just talking about these things and making these horror films, and then it becomes a wave because it, it's it's everything. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty.
0: Yeah, well, twenty twenty. Well, you no. know, you were you were saying that like in The Wicker Man and in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you have the other portrayed as hostile from the get go. Like yep. also, like in Deliverance, you know, it's the yes. other who's like they don't want you to be here, and they're going to you know they're going to kill you. Whereas now, the other is they look like they're us, and, and when I say the other, that's a that's a really loaded term, but in this context, I'm saying. Um, Typically, I would say white people from different classes, or different or yeah. different um, walks of life. I would say is the other in, in this instance, um, and in in you know in modern times they're not hostile; they're inviting, which is like that's that's the main difference. Yeah, I would say. Um, well, we're getting to the end here, but I did want to talk just kind of like popcorn style about just like our favorite horror movies. Cause you'd brought up the Texas Chancel oh. Massacre, which is so genius. Cause I actually saw the remake first when I was young and that freaked me the frick out. Is it, I
1: haven't, I haven't seen the remake cause I'm so wary. because I love the original. I, I get a bit wary when I love a version of it. Cause I don't want to disrespect or come to the piece unfairly. Like I don't want to be bringing that kind of baggage to it. So I haven't seen the remake. I'm told it's good.
0: I, you know, I mean, I saw it when I was, that was like one of my first horror movies. I think it was only in eighth grade when I saw it and it was, you know, such a big boy moment seeing this horror movie and it made, it made me shiver because I mean, I went to the bathroom after it was over and I would remember being like in the, in the men's room, just like shaking, like having a shivering reaction to oh, like wow. how terrifying it was. must, could have also just been a cold theater. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But the the original, it has that uncanny graininess of the nineteen seventies. Yeah, shot and, on Super
1: sixteen mil film.
0: Yes, um, you're the film person, so of course <laughs> you can fill in all the details. And this is to kind of borrow something from Bravo's "A Hundred Scariest Movie Moments of All Time," which I don't know if you've seen that. No. Oh, I know what you, I'm linking. I'm linking it to you. Okay. Um, it's so it was a retrospective from 2004 that had a lot of uh, actors, actresses, and filmmakers talking about like it's a countdown, like a clip show of the hundred scariest movies of all time up until right. 2004. Um, that's very insightful uh, and. Uh, th- for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I don't remember what number it was on the list, they said that the genius of that was that it's in daytime for the most part. Yeah. And that's what's so scary.
1: The first murder in that film is utterly traumatizing. It's so, it's the guy, it's the guy who walks in and it's just a hammer to the head. It's just this that's hammer That's the blow. scene that,
0: th- that is verbatim the scene that they pick yeah. for that. That's the moment.
1: Yeah, it's so raw. And and the thing is that, The thing is that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a film where only one person dies via chainsaw. And yet, you know, so it's a weird title when you think about it. And it's not that violent. There's not that much blood. There's more blood sort of in the opening scene where there's the hitchhiker who sort of cuts the other person and that kind of thing. But it's so... It's just so... It hits a level of brutal, visceral... Like, I I can't even describe it because it's just so... It feels like it was made yesterday, about now, which is, I don't know what that says about, you know, horror movies and everything like that. But, um, I don't know. It just, like, that particular kill. And then they cut straight from that kill. The thing is that that movie is both very brutal and dirty and then very stunningly beautiful at the same time. Because right after that kill, they cut to just this absolutely gorgeous low-angle dolly shot of the, the other girl walking up to the house um and then and the end shot of the tex- the original texas chainsaw massacre is my favorite shot in any film ever like it's the best ending shot of any film Oh, where she's
0: laughing on the back of the no the no peca- no it's
1: when he's he's dancing with the chainsaw in the sunset
0: it is oddly beautiful isn't it its is
1: stunningly beautiful and it's this violent image and that's just like that 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 scene, like I'm, I am now getting chills just talking about it, thinking about it. It it sticks in in your head. I love movies with because the purpose of film for me, and for, this is what Del Toro says, is it's the it's about the generation of mythical images because plays. Uh, the word as I say, plays are about performance. Uh, literature is about the spoken word. Art is about painting. Photography is about light. But what is in film? It's this. It's the it's the the motion picture as opposed to just like a still frame from a film. You've got the both the edit and camera movement, which are things that belong to cinema and cinema alone. You know, you don't get that in another medium but you get all the other things in one form or another in other mediums but and so the the generation of mythic images and something like that like that just holds in your head to the point where they've they've just announced sort of another texas chainsaw movie oh. and in the poster down the bottom is Uh, Leatherface dancing it's like hidden in the design of the artwork like it's very very clever I'm interested I'm wary though because but I haven't even seen the sequel which is directed by the same guy because apparently it's a tonally a completely different film
0: I think it's more of like a black comedy yeah yeah um well you know what's so interesting about that that scene is that it really puts like the grotesque derangedness of Leatherface you know, just freaking out and dancing, but in front of that beautiful sunset and it's the beauty and the grotesque side by side, which is like, so, and also segues to my favorite horror movie. Um, it's so, um, that is like, that is iconic horror. Like those are the images that stick with us. So my favorite horror movie, I'm pretty sure came out the same year. As Texas Chancellor Massacre. And I, I tried to narrow it down because I'd mentioned The Ring, which I, of course, love. Um, I also consider Akira, or Akira, depending on how you pronounce it, one know. of one of my favorite movies of all time, which could be argued is hor- horrific. Very Cronberg,
1: they're currently screening that a four K restoration on cinemas around Australia if you I were so inclined.
0: Oh, I know. I might go to Dendy. I actually brought my partner to watch it last year in May at the Orpheum here in Sydney. It wasn't the remastered version and he liked it, but he said it was the most the scariest movie he's ever seen. Oh wow. Because it is really grotesque. But he doesn't watch a lot of horror movies, which is fair. Um but I, my favorite horror movie of all time is Suspiria.
1: The the Dario. So they're different years. So Suspiria is nineteen seventy seven, um, and Texas Chainsaw is seventy four. Oh darn! I thought so, I got. I it mean, right. that's the same. The seventies were these, these big. I have such an interesting relationship with Suspiria because I had had it hyped up to the to the rafters. No. that this was this sort of thing. So I go in. And then I wasn't ready for the tonal um, absurdity of it, which is part of the design. It's just wacky. Some pieces are very wacky. and So I, I had a bit of a weird experience the first time I saw it, and I saw it on this really dirty 35mm print. Um, and then when they did the 4K restoration, I thought, okay, I'll see it again. Now I know what I'm in for. I'll go and see it again. And I still had a bit of an odd reaction to it. It's one that I love the way it looks, but that like the scenes themselves don't hit for me in an emotion. Some do. The the opening kill, like that first like five six minutes of it, it breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. Um, and but then like there's moments that I can't get over where like you know where she's in the barbed wire that's not barbed wire
0: yeah that's it's 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 very weird and i i'm okay that not everyone like yeah. it isn't the best tour. i just like it because it's so visual
1: yeah and, i love the um, bit where they're all sleeping in the the hall and it's lights out and it's just red <sighs> and shadows i'm just like yes the
0: snoring witch yeah oh, yeah um, so it's not as ubiquitous as Texas on Massacre. So I will kind of have to explain. <laughs> so Suspiria is about, um a american ballet student who goes to a famous ballet school in germany and all of it was like the last film to be shot on three strip technicolor so everything is super bright like ultra saturated and the visuals are crazy and very like mc escher-esque
1: i believe i believe it wasn't shot on three strip it was a three strip post process so it's a chemical three strip process because the three strip technicolor cameras are these big like room-sized cameras that made like a ton of noise okay thank you for clarifying dario argento had a very interesting del toro loves dario argento and he was talking about how that was the last sort of time that they did these kind of colors and it's very hard you can't it's very hard to replicate it now because it was so photochemical based it was this post process of dipping the film like literally dipping the film into these chemical baths that brought out the colors and everything like that
0: Uh, that's so neat i actually didn't know that um it, but, yeah, it's an Italian horror movie, so it's very like dreamlike, and there's a lot of pretty women and uh, everything's there's... dubbed. Everything's dubbed. Every like, well, that's what's so cool is that it's an international cast. So you just you would dub it over in whatever the main languages. So Jessica Harper, who's English, an American actress, she that's her voice. But other characters who are Italian or German or French, they're dubbed over in you know English. Um, but yeah, so essentially, there's these murders at this ballet school, and you don't know what's going on for most of the film. And that's you know not to spoil it. I don't want to spoil anything, but that's kind of how it how it rests. But it, it's um, a lot of it was sort of taken. Uh, based off of like sort of Snow White I guess was sort of one of the inspirations Yeah. and originally one of the reasons why the dialogue is so absurd and kind of childish is that originally Dario Argento, the director and one of the writers I think Dario Nicoletti who was his partner at the time was the script writer, they wanted it to be 12 year old girls Yeah. As, but the thing is when you kill them, you know, the, the censors would have probably just been like, no, you can't do that. So you can't, they didn't want to like show children dying on screen in such brutal ways. So they had to, they had to up the age of the actress, but they kept the dialogue. That's why it's so weird. And and why they are like sticking their tongues at each other and acting like little
1: girls. Right. And what they did to emphasize that or make that, uh uh, uh bring about an effect of that or make them feel younger um all the door handles are higher up on all the doors on the <laughs> yeah. sets so the sets are built to make them feel smaller in it
0: yeah and the sets are just amazing and oh yeah it, yeah and it, it, like you know as shane said it isn't like like don't go into it with any expectations you'll probably just take away what you want it's a it's a fun in unique horror with a movie group
1: of people it's much yeah. better experienced in a group of people because some of it's silly some of it's absurd the music has these just hard cuts that it just suddenly stops but the scene keeps going <laughs> for no reason it's
0: very weird and then there's the remake which came out two years i think it was two years ago which was by uh luca, Guad- luca guadagnino guadagnino um who did call me by your name and it's got tilda swinton and dakota johnson in it and it's a completely different tonal and it's also sure, got just...
1: Tilda Swinton, and it's also got Tilda Swinton, and it's also got Tilda Swinton. She plays, like, four people. She plays three it.
0: characters and you don't know who they are. Like, that's what's so... Like, you don't know who she plays other than... Okay, so there's the obvious Tilda Swinton, and then I'm not going to say who the other ones are, because I didn't know oh, you didn't? who one of those was. Well, I knew who one of them was, because it kind of got leaked before the film. But the... The one that comes towards the end, I right. had no idea that was till this one. It's so clever, and it's basically Suspiria, but like in a parallel universe where yeah. there, it's the style, the tone, everything is different. It's a lot more plot heavy. It's a lot more character based, but instead of it being saturated, it's this kind of just dismal, like industrial, like yeah. almost if like Nine Inch Nails decided to direct Suspiria. <laughs> yeah, yep. um, and it's set in the year that it original was made, so you've got the beautiful like seventies just outfits and haircuts styles and i would say that i really enjoyed that one too it's, I liked it's like the ring and ringo i like I, both of them
1: yeah i liked a lot of it. i thought it was a bit long but other than that i was like oh yeah, it was long but, but some of the sequence like the first what i liked about the remake is the witchcraft um is so much more ingrained into the plot and the dancing thing, like the dance, becomes so much more as opposed to in the in Suspiria, it's just the dance school is just the dance school. Whereas in in the remake, it's it's much more ingrained into like the lore of the piece, which I really really liked. And then when you know the first dance sequence um, that they have uh, Dakota Johnson do, that scene was brilliant, and the, the, with the mirrors.
0: Oh, and the g- twisting.
1: Yeah, which that the- was
0: all real. That she's a contortionist. Yeah, she did that. Her, yeah. yeah, that you know it's that. So Suspiria is actually part of a trilogy about three witch, like evil witch sisters that each the, have the, their own the dominion. Three mothers. Yes. So um I don't know. I don't think they're ever going to do a remake of Inferno and Mother of Tears. No, second probably but, not. <laughs> But the idea there's so the idea that every witch is kind of has like their unique like um dominion is, right. is like one is the the witch of darkness, one is the witch of fear, one of the witches of of size, it's, which it's, is it's the mother
1: of size, the mother of tears, and the mother of um darkness? I think that's yes. the three yeah.
0: Well when they introduced the idea of dancing being mother suspiriums that's how she does witchcraft when you look at the other two films there's the perfect setup where the one in new York, so there's the second one which is inferno is about like kind of architecture in this apartment and you know there's sort of the idea of like a lot of symbology like things being woven into the architecture that have been could have been a cool idea for how the witches there do their thing and then the third one i think is about music like there's like a, I've, I want want to say maybe I got that wrong, but I thought someone's like a music student. I think I so. might be mixing that seen, up. With I've Inferno. been meaning
1: to watch Inferno and Mother of Tears, but I haven't gotten around to them either of them just yet.
0: They're not that great. Full disclosure, I've heard. But, I've heard. But the, the idea that you could use you could hide magic in the open by doing by transforming it through dance yeah. and then maybe doing it through other art forms like that, that opens up so many ideas oh, that yeah. I thought they could use for the sequels, which of course will never happen because no one's going to remake I'll and for it. Now. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yes, do it.
1: <laughs> um,
0: well, we're coming up on an hour and 30 minutes and that's just kind of flown by <laughs> for me. Is there anything you wanted to talk about? Cause I'm having a really good time. just talking. I'm,
1: I'm having a fantastic time as well. I, I was just going to say one of my other favorite, it's sort of a horror film, um, of a sort, but you know, if you're talking about things that are lost or that are buried, uh, at least metaphorically speaking, there's a fantastic film from the '70s called uh, The Devils by Ken Russell. Yes,
0: you you had mentioned this to me in the chat. Please yeah. talk about it because so it's a wild film.
1: It is based on an actual true story about. Uh, it's called. Uh, there's a book called The Devils of LuDon, uh, and it's in 1634. A priest, uh, uh, Father Grandier, a handsome and, and dissolute priest of the parish of Loudon was tried, tortured, and burnt at the stake. He had been found guilty of conspiring with the devil to seduce an entire convent of nuns. In what was the most sensational case of mass possession and sexual hysteria in history. So this film, it's it's a lot of things. It's it, I reckon if you like Suspiria, give this one a go. Um, but famously, this film is quite, um, it's very violent. It's very uh, obscene in terms of. What blasphemous. It's depicting, blasphemous Yeah but the, problem, the thing is, is The film itself is quite pro-religion In a weird way But the film has sort of this sequence in the middle Where all the nuns are possessed And it's this, this church full of these nun These naked nuns performing all sorts of obscene acts um and the, the the one sequence that drew the most ire it's referred to as the rape of christ where they tear down a statue of jesus or maybe it was just a trigger warning oh, <laughs> With sorry. a name
0: like that let's do a little bit of a trigger warning right, so right. skip ahead 15 minutes you got 15 sorry not 15 minutes 15 seconds you got 15 seconds shan
1: right well they they just they tear down a, a, a statue of jesus and just go to town on it oh dear. Um, and so this sequence you know it obviously caused these huge controversies and the film was cut and cut and cut and chopped and 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 hacked to pieces went from like a hundred and fifteen minute running time to like hundred and four and most of these pieces come out of this spectacular sequence um, there's famously a bootlegged version which I have seen where it's sort of like haphazardly put together from some very low quality sources as much of the footage from that sequences could be found however a uh, British film critic by the name of mark commode uh found a print an almost intact print or a working print version of it and then got the original editor of the film to help put together the film in the most complete version of it and Warner Brothers were all set to release it and then all of a sudden they're like nah and the film is literally a complete film of this is sitting in the Warner Brothers vaults untouched it is literally like the Snyder Cut but if the Snyder Cut was real (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, everyone's like, oh, the Snyder Cut released it as if it's sitting in a vault. And no, now they're spending like $70 million to basically remake Justice League. So there was no cut of it sitting anywhere. However, this film is a complete finished version. But every sort of person who ran Warner Brothers was sort of a bit of a conservative. A bit, You know, one of them was a Catholic. So this film is sort of seen as too controversial to touch and it's very weird because there are other hyper controversial films things like salo the 120 days of sodden which is oh my is, gosh Ugh,
0: i've seen that Ugh.
1: you've seen it uh, i i don't know if i could bring myself to watch it but that sort of a that film got pierre paolo pasolini killed basically um the filmmaker was murdered for making this obscene film and um uh, that's now been released uh you know all these films that have been banned or 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 censored and stuff finally have a release. And the devils, which the version I've seen, like it's 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 confronting, sure. But I've seen confront like equal equally confronting things in other films that I've seen. So I don't think it's anything like too much for the public especially nowadays especially considering how revered it is so that's sort of a very famous sort of lost version of a film that's been deliberately buried and hidden away for no one to be able to touch it and i would very much like them to release the ken russell cut
0: (laughs) well Shane, this has been a lot of fun um Is there anything you want to plug? I know you have a podcast as well. Yes, I have
1: a podcast where we talk movies called the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. And I'm actually, I've been intending to have you on because we can talk about, because we've changed our format for the most recent season where we just sort of have a topic and each person brings a film to that one, someone from the group hasn't seen. Um, And and we, I mean, it's the easiest thing to do treasure as, (laughs) you know, because you hadn't until recently seen National Treasure. (laughs) I still haven't seen National Treasure. Well, then that's, that's going to be your pick for the, <laughs> the thing. Um, but uh, it's the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. Uh, we're available wherever you get podcasts. Um, but Acast is our current platform. So if you're on there, that's a good one to do. Um and we're on facebook we're on twitter and instagram at picturangers but i've been a bit slack with social media posts at the moment um and then i guess the the next thing to plug uh, a good thing is my i've made a queer horror short film called the hollow hours and that is playing um at the soho horror film fest which is part of soho horror fest in the uk except this is an online portion because of covid and uh it's this particular horror is queer uh, section where sort of myself and about six or seven other films, uh, it'll, it won't it will be geo-locked and it's a pay-what-you-want pass to see them to help out because a lot of people are sort of struggling at the moment. So it's sort of a pay-what-you-want, so this is going to be sort of very easily accessed and so my weird sort of horror short film about uh, a haunted clock um, plaguing a newly moved-in couple. Uh, and that's playing with a bunch of other stuff. The horror is Queer Showcase. So uh, I'll send you a link, and I guess you can put that in show notes or something like
0: that. Yes, absolutely. Please do. Um, well, Shane, this has been a blast. <laughs> Thank um, you so much
1: for having me on. This is awesome. Y-
0: yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah, uh, Relic Lost Treasure Podcast. Interface with me. Interface with the fuck am I a robot? Um, talk to me on Twitter <laughs> at Lost Treasure Pod. Um, well, that's how we got in touch. <laughs> yes, please, Americans, vote. Yes. Vote, vote like Australians the, yes. too. If
1: you're in Queensland, I guess the election might right. be done by the time this comes out, but we've got a Queensland election at the moment. A lot of so, steak, yeah, a lot vote of wherever you are. <laughs> yes. All right. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.